All right, good morning. Let's see here. Uh, well, let's start with a quick prayer. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, um, we're going to, uh, if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read a very short passage, and then we'll jump right in. This is from Genesis uh, chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 17 and 18. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. You may be seated. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so as you can see, this that's the subject. And Roger kind of set me up here uh, with his uh, communion message, and that's great. So uh, they say that the secret to getting someone to remember is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So <laughs> you've been told what you're going <laughs> to what you're going to be told. So all right. So covenant is a word that we don't really use that much in our everyday language. I mean, we see it. We see it in names mostly, right? We see schools named after it, Covenant School. We see churches named Covenant Church. There's even a theology. It's called Covenant Theology, right? So we we see it. We know the word, but we probably haven't recently, at least I know that I hadn't before I started preparing for this, given a whole lot of thought to what the word what the word is. And so, all right, well, let's let's look, delve into it. Next. Uh, next slide, William. Um, for you uh, uh, etymology geeks, uh, we're, we're going to get into the, uh, the origin of the word. The English word covenant was derived from the old French word, covenir, and my apologies to those who actually speak French, um, which just means agreement. And the French word came from the Latin Convenire, or convenire, which means together, come, or come together. So a covenant basically, go ahead, William, is uh, an agreement between two people. Uh, it's, a, it's not just an agreement, it's a relationship. It's agreement that, that uh, uh, forms the basis of a relationship, really. So it's a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. So that's a covenant. It's sort of like this. Two people get together and they say, you know what? If we form this relationship, we could both benefit from this. There'd be something that would be better, something we both want. And... And so we, we should form this relationship. We both want it. Now we have to set the terms of the relationship. So here's 
what I will do. Here's what you need to do. And then these will be the benefits. We, and, and we both kind of share this vision, and we agree to it, and then we are now in covenant with each other. Sometimes, if it's a very serious agreement, a, a serious covenant, there, well, the obligations are laid out, the commitments are laid out, possibly the consequences for not following through might be laid out. Um, but to show how serious they are, the two people who are entering into the covenant may take an oath. Or they may even uh, exchange a sign or give some kind of a sign or symbol of their commitment to it. Um, or they may even participate in some type of a ritual or ceremony. Now, in our everyday lives, uh, the, 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 the covenant we're probably most familiar with would be the covenant of marriage. You have a man and a woman who come into a voluntary agreement to be in a relationship with each other, and here are the terms of the relationship. They make some promises to each other. They are working toward a common goal, you know, uh, a life together, uh, children possibly, um, but they both believe that somehow it will be better for each partner and maybe even for society as a whole, for the people around them as a whole, for them to enter into this covenant and keep this covenant. And they're, they're serious about it. They take oaths. They exchange a symbol, a sign, something to remind them of their oath, you see. And there are consequences if the oaths are broken. So that is a true covenant. Now, as it turns out, we have a covenant-making God. God uses covenants throughout Scripture where he comes into an agreement with people, with a person or with people. Um, now, when God makes covenants, he sets the terms. He, well, they don't call it a God complex for nothing. I mean, he, he is God, so he sets the terms. He's all-knowing, so he knows what's best, right? So, so we have God making covenants. In fact, it's really, if not the only way, perhaps the best way to really understand the Bible as a whole, if you see it as the series of covenants, of God making covenants with, with man. Okay. So we're going to do that. Go ahead, William. We'll start from the beginning. Now, the Old Testament, we have several covenants. Some people will, well, there's, there's covenants all through, but major covenants. And some people say there's five. Some people say there's four. And I'm going to straddle the fence here and go ahead and address Adam. Um, I don't know if this is a true covenant, really, in the strictest sense of the word, uh, because a covenant is when two people come together and they reach an agreement with each other, you know. And Adam is sort of like kind of dropped into this, you know. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, when you're born... You are in a relationship when you're born. You're in a relationship with your parents, with your mother and with your father. You really had no say in it. <laughs> you know? And, and so there's not really a negotiation of terms at that point. 
You know, it's mom and dad, they realize the, the, the gravity of the relationship and they take, uh, take to taking care of you. Now, as far as you're concerned as a baby, here's the terms. I cry, you respond. You know, that's, that's a baby, that's, that's the baby attitude of what this relationship is supposed to be like. But hopefully as the baby grows and from the example and the teachings of the parents, the baby learns some valuable lessons as, as he goes and it becomes a true relationship between the two of them. And he starts to understand that, well, maybe I actually do have some obligations here. Maybe I'm obliged to be obedient or to be, to honor my, my parents, you see. But anyway, we all, we, we all understand that. Well, that's kind of how Adam finds himself. He's dropped into this. And God explains to Adam, you know, this is, this is, this is where you are. This is who you are. You actually made you in my image. You are of all, look around you, see all the animals and all the world that's here around you. Of everything here, you are the most like me. So you, you have, you have intelligence, like I have intelligence. You have the ability to speak. You are creative. You are strong. I'm also giving you resources. And it wasn't just Adam. He says, I'm also giving you a partner. It's Adam and Eve, and it's the two of them together, actually, that most completely reflect the image of God. Because God is all about relationships. And so he starts them off in a relationship, in a relationship with each other, and in a relationship with him. And the terms are really pretty simple. He says, I'm putting you in this garden. You have everything you need. All the resources are available to you. And I've made you creative, and I've made you so that you love beauty, and I've made you so that you can gain life and energy from uh, from all the resources. He says, I give you every plant in this garden for food for you. I'm going to get a little sciencey here on, on a minute. Now, ancient men, they understood that that if the sun doesn't come up, the crops don't grow. And if the crops don't grow, we all die. You know, they understood that. But now, now that I understand a little bit more about how all that works, how the energy from the sun is actually captured by these plants and is made into chemical energy. And the whole process, it's very complex, the whole process by which energy from the sun is captured and put into the plants, and that's made available for us. We consume, we can't capture sun energy and turn it into food, but the plants can. And God gave us, God gave Adam, all the plants available to him for food. I also um, put in there a tree that as long as you're eating from this tree, if you eat from this tree, you will, you will live. It's, it's the tree of life. And it's, it will give you life forever, basically, if you eat from this tree. The only prohibition, there's only one restrictive rule, one rule with a bad consequence. Don't eat that. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat that. That was pretty simple rules. Of course, we know the story, so I'm not going to go through the whole story. It doesn't go well. Adam and Eve 
don't believe God. Now, the, the doubt is planted by another entity, but they listen to that and choose to believe that, and they don't believe God. And so now the covenant is broken. Like I said, it, was, it wasn't a covenant that, that actually had, they had gone into agreement with. These, the terms were just laid out, and they had to choose whether or not to abide by them. They did not. And so now the terms have to be renegotiated. <laughs> um, so they didn't trust. They didn't believe. They break the covenant. Here's the new terms. The earth's not going to cooperate with you anymore. So part of the job that they've been given was to fill the earth, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's basically spreading this garden out. You're in this beautiful garden, and I want you and your descendants to fill the earth and make it, make the whole earth like this garden. That's, that's the job he gave them. And now, they still got this job, but the earth's not going to cooperate with them anymore. So, Adam, you still have to work. For, now you've got to work for your food, and it's going to be laborious. It's going to be painful. It's going to be cause sweat on your brow for you to do that. Eve, raising children is going to be painful. Having them will be painful. Raising them will be painful. Um, there's something about the relationship between Adam and Eve there's some discussion about this. I mean, there's different ways of actually interpreting the words. So I'm, I'm trying to do my best. Something about, you know, your desire, talking to Eve, um, your desire will be for him. But one another reading is your desires and his desires may not line up, but you will be subject to him. Like he's, he's, whether that's an order that you have to be submitted to him or whether that's he's going to dominate over you, there may be some of both of that, okay? It's not necessarily a good thing that he's telling them there, but he's saying this is the way it's going to be. Um, and you still, you still are, you, you know, it is still your job to, to reproduce uh, and to fill the earth. Ah, but there's one other thing. Your seed will crush the source of all this, all these problems. So that's a promise for the future that God makes. That's, I guess, you'll call it a covenant, but basically God commits to it himself. He says, even though you've broken this covenant, I'm still going to, I'm going to give you a seed, one who will be born a descendant of yours, who will crush the serpent, crush the head of the serpent. Okay? So we, we start looking forward. So <laughs> the next couple of chapters of Genesis, Genesis after this is really just a couple of chapters talking about the great accomplishments and the great failures of man. Basically, during this time, you see music is invented and cities are built and uh, metallurgy is discovered and all this kind of stuff. So man, because he's made in the image of God, because he has this creative ability and this ingenuity, he's doing all these great things. But because they're all descendants of Adam, 
who broke the covenant and decided not to trust God, then they're not doing all these great things in a great way. In fact, it says by the time you get to chapter 6, that the, that every intent of all men's thoughts were only evil continually. That sounds pretty bad. That's about as bad as it gets. And that's a direct result of this choice not to trust, not to believe. God withdrew his presence. I mean, he had this relationship with Adam and Eve where he walked with them. That was one of the resources that they had access to was direct contact with God. Every day he would come and, and teach them and they would learn from him and grow. Well, now he's separated. They're separated from him. They can't go back to Eden anymore. They don't have that kind of access anymore. So, this descent or the fall of man is made complete here, and God then decides to intervene. He picks out among all these men, one man, Noah, and he tells him, Noah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. Uh, it's a mess. I'm going to wipe it clean and start fresh, and I'm going to use you to do it. And Noah believes him. Believes him so much that he spends a long time building a boat according to God's instructions so that, that, that he will be ready when God follows through with what he said he's going to do. So Noah believes. And of course you know that story. At the end of it, when the flood's over, just the animals on the ark are saved. You know, all life everywhere all over the earth is pretty much just wiped out, basically. Um, God makes a covenant with Noah, and he says, here's the covenant. I will never destroy all life with a flood again. And he gives him a sign. He says, when you see the bow in the sky and the clouds, it will remind you and I will both be reminded of this promise that I will not do, that I will not do this. So you and your family go again, fill the earth. Now, God understands that Noah is still a product, a son of Adam. He knows that Noah is not going to be able to perfectly follow, perfectly obey, perfectly believe. In fact, Noah proves that very quickly. Pretty soon afterwards, he plants a vineyard. Makes a bunch of wine, drinks a bunch of wine, gets, gets into trouble and embarrasses himself and embarrass, you know, embarrasses, uh, puts a stain on the image of God there. Um, and yet, later on it's, it's said that Noah's belief in God was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, there, there are still more changes though in uh, uh, the terms. He says, I'll never destroy all the earth with a flood. Also, the animals now will have fear and dread of you. So that suggests the way, the reason, I mean, he just said that, so it suggests that before that, maybe they didn't. In fact, it seems that perhaps the entire earth was 
contaminated by man. Because man's put in charge. The earth is subject to man. And so as man declines, so declines the earth. So you have, you have war, you have death, you have predators in every sense of the word. And now, after, the, after Noah, God says, the animals, not, not just the earth and the plants aren't going to cooperate with you. Now the animals aren't going to cooperate with you either. <laughs> uh, but you can eat them. So... All right, so they, life goes on, you have more, the descendants of Noah, eventually you get down to, uh, you know, men are doing what men do, they're building cities and civilizations, and one of the great ancient civilizations, one of the earliest great uh, ancient civilizations um, is um, Sumeria. And within and out of that came the Chaldeans. Uh, and from Chaldea, this is, this is a civilization that is, exists along at the same time as Egypt and rivals Egypt in its greatness. Okay. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't tell you, William. Skip on through. There was Noah. <laughs> now we're, now we're at Abraham. <laughs> All right. Um, so out of the Chaldeans from the city of Ur, there's a family, uh, a man named Terah and his sons, and they move out of the big city and they move out to the country of Haran and he takes his, his, his sons with him. Well, one, two of his sons, one of his sons dies before they move. Um, but he has a, he has a grandson by that one named Lot and one of his sons is Abram. And apparently they're pretty successful family. They're doing pretty good up there in Haran. Uh, but God comes to Abram and says, Abram, if you will leave your father and the comforts of home and civilization as you know it and go where I tell you, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. And I will make you a blessing to the world, to all other families, basically. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Well, those are some pretty big promises. That sounds pretty good. But there are terms attached. I have to leave everything that I know. I have to leave everything that I'm comfortable with. So... Abraham, Abram, at this point, believes God and follows through. Now, from there, he starts, he's just going where God tells him he's supposed to go. He's kind of wandering around, but you, you see that every once in a while, he stops and he builds an altar. So, I mean, he's checking with God. He's checking in. Am I doing it right? Is this, is this where I'm supposed to go? Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the fulfillment of the promises you made. You know, just, just keep guiding me here. And so, Abraham, he, he goes through some, I mean, he has some ups and downs. He, everything he doesn't isn't necessarily, everything he does isn't necessarily, uh, the most honorable way of doing things. Uh, yet, Abraham continues to demonstrate his belief, his faith in God. Um, 
in the, uh, at some point, you know, he starts wondering though, because it's been a while. And he's old. And his wife Sarah's old. And she's proven to be barren. She's not had any children. And God said he was going to make him a great nation. But how do you do that when you don't have children? So he's coming to God and he says, did I understand you right? Because you said you're going to make a great nation of me. But right now, as it is, I'm old. And who's the person who's going to inherit what I have, he's not even in my, he's, he was born in my household. He was a servant, his son of a servant in my household. Is that, is that the way we're going here? And God says, no. I'm, you're, you're going to have your own children. It's going to be a product of your loins. And he makes Abram to believe this. To, God actually uh, enters into a covenant here with Abram. And that was what I read to you. And I'm, I didn't mean to close my Bible, but let me get back to it. This is an interesting passage. I just read a little snippet, but... It's a, it's one of those passages where people kind of read it and go, hmm, not sure what all that means, but, uh, it's in the Bible, so, uh, I guess I believe it, you know. <laughs> but here's, here's an interesting thing. God says, the Lord says to him, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. He took him outside. He said, look at the heavens, count the stars. If you can count the stars, then you got an idea of how many children you're going to have. Okay? And he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you land. This land, by the time where he brought him to, he said, you see this land? This is what I'm going to give you. And he basically says, how do I know? How do I know this, God? And God says, well, here's what you do. You bring me a three-year-old heifer. A three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a male sheep, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. He brought them to him, and he cut them in two. The heifer, the goat, the ram, he split them right down the middle in two and separated them out. Each half against, uh, opposed to each other, kind of separated them like that. Except for the two birds, he just laid them entire, I guess, probably opposite each other. Now, there's enough information from the ancient Near East that we know that this was a way of covenant making in these civilizations, in these societies. Was if you had a serious covenant, blood's going to be spilled. These Animals are going to be set, their parts are going to be separated, and those who are entering the covenant walk through the middle of the, of the dead, of the dead animals. And there's a couple of ways of interpreting that. One is, if I do not follow through with this promise, may this, may this happen to me, basically. Or, or it might be looked at like, this I would be willing to have this happen to me before I would have this covenant broken. It says here that 
during during the, the while he Abram he sets this all out. He keeps the keeps the buzzards away, <laughs> you know, while he's waiting for God to do whatever he's going to do. Then it says a deep sleep falls on him, and in his sleep, God tells him, "I am going to give you this land, but there's going in your descendants this land, but it's going there's going to be a delay." And he even tells specifies about four hundred years before before they going they get to inherit the land. And one of the reasons this is interesting is because those who inhabit the land now, their iniquities have not reached their fullness. Basically, he's waiting for the people who are there to disqualify themselves from being, from deserving to be there. So he explains this to, to, to Abram in his dream. And then we see this part that I read. When the sun went down, it was dark. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Now these represent God. These are symbols that represent God. Think about the pillar of light and the pillar of cloud. You have light and smoke basically here. So you have this mystery of God and the light, the enlightenment of God, whatever, but Abram understands this is a representative, a representation of God. This torch and this smoking oven go down the center between the, between the two halves of the, of the sacrificed animals. Now, most, I mean, Abram's not required to do this. This is God taking this oath on his own. That's an interesting thing there. So, no, uh, Abram now knows that God is, is serious. This was, again, this was something that was cultural to them. So God uses something that he understands. This is a, this is a solemn oath that I understand. And God himself is, is, is participating in it and, and taking up this oath, making this promise this way. So Abram believes him. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he names a bunch of people groups. He says all of that that they're, that they're currently inhabiting, that will, that will be to your people. So, there you have Abram's promise. That his people, that his descendants will be a people who are going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And they're going to do it from this, from this piece of, piece of geography right here. Okay. All right. So as God told him, Abram has children and uh, his name is changed to Abraham and he has it first. He has a child first through the handmaid of Sarai, his wife, but that wasn't what God meant. Uh, and then he has a child through um, Sarah. Her name has changed also. Um, and those, the rest of the next parts of Genesis is, are, are about that story, about the, their children, about um, Isaac and Ishmael, and then and about Isaac's children, and uh, um, Jacob and Esau, and then about 
Is that right? Yeah, Jacob and Esau. And then about, about Jacob's children, Jacob renamed Israel. Uh, and so his 12 children, the, the 12 that became the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel, they wind up going down to Egypt and staying there for 400 years, just like God told Abram was going to happen. And then while they're there, um, they first arrive, you know, they're kind of welcomed. But the longer that they stay, the more plentiful they get, uh, the more of a threat they seem to be to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians start using them and abusing them. And uh, they no longer are happy with their situation. And they cry out to the Lord. And then the Lord hears and decides he's going to choose another man and make a covenant with this entire people. Go ahead, William, the next one. So that brings us to the Mosaic Covenant. Now, here, here God is making, entering into a relationship not just with Moses. Moses is kind of the, uh, he's the, he's the, uh, yeah, mediator. Thank you. <laughs> he's the mediator. Uh, but he's entering into this relationship with the children of Abraham as he had promised. And so he says, he, he, well, Roger walked you through that a while ago. You all know what happened there. God uses the ritual of Passover where the lamb is, blood is spilled, the lamb is killed. Um, and because of that, the, the firstborn of the children of Israel are saved and the Pharaoh decides to let them go with a little other coercions. Okay. Uh, so they now are uh, presented with a choice. First of all, they, they've made a choice because they did what God told them to do. God saves them like he says he's going to. He gets them out of slavery, but he says, now I want to enter into a covenant with you. I want to teach you again how to be people with my name. I want to make you a blessing as a whole people group, I want to make you a blessing to the world. But in order for you to do that, you've got to change your ways. And I will give you a, a set of laws. And with the giving of the commandments, God enters into this relationship with the people. They all agree. They take solemn vows. They all agree. And they don't follow through real well. But God makes his promise and he does follow through. It's imperfect because the people who are involved in this endeavor are imperfect. But then we see what happens as they form a, an actual people. It takes them 40 years, of course, to get to the promised land. They finally get there. And for a while, they really have a lot of struggles. And they'll do good for a while, and then they'll do really bad. And then God will send a, 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 a judge who will come and rescue them from their oppressors, and they'll do good for a while, and then they, they do bad. You know, it's a, it's a cycle, up and down, doing good and good, doing bad. We, we see them go through that. And then they start clamoring for a king. They want a king like the people around them have a king. God says, aren't you happy enough just having me as your king? And no, we want a king that we, you know, a king with skin on, basically. We want a king that we can see. We want a king that we can, you know, cheer for and rally behind. And so... God gives them a king. The first one doesn't work out to be so great. He's good at times and bad at times like most. But then God raises up. Go ahead, William. God raises up and chooses another one 
David to be their king. And David demonstrates again that he believes God. He does things that demonstrates his faith. And because he believes God, then God raises him up to be the king, and he's considered the greatest king of Israel. Now, he says, he then enters into this, again, a covenant with David and says, I will make one of your descendants the righteous king that will rule over Israel and over all. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. Now, David, well, you know the details of his life. He has some failures, some major failures. But David continues to demonstrate that he believes God. He just doesn't always act like it. But because he believes, it is accounted to him as righteousness. So as his descendants, those kings, you're waiting for here God's promise that he's going to bring a king that's going to be righteous. He's going to bring, bring their kingdom to, um, to glory, basically, on the earth. And they're, they're waiting for it, but it's not looking good. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of separation and division and a lot of worshiping of other gods. And it's just not, things aren't going well. And so we start hearing from, we start hearing from the prophets about the one to come. The, the messianic prophecies start coming and they start describing what he's going to be like. Sometimes they're, they're easy to get behind and rally. Sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to get behind because it talks about him being a servant and suffering a lot and all that. So, so those are the four or five, depending on which way you look at it, covenants of the Old Testament. The prophets are now telling us that there, this language starts entering in, into, into their uh, vocabulary of a new covenant because of this new one to come, because of the Messiah. And here we have, then we have, of course, William, as, as Roger pointed out earlier, <laughs> you'd, think, you'd think we were talking about this, but we weren't. <laughs> um, we have the new covenant, and the new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, we're told, we're given the vision at the beginning. It's an Edenic vision. That's what the world is supposed to look like but it was supposed to spread all over the world. But there were some hiccups, right? It just didn't, it didn't come about immediately. Because one part of this agreement did not follow through. And as we see, as we get through all this, God enters into covenants with these people, with individuals and with people groups. And even though... They enter into these agreements, and they don't follow through. They break covenant. God never does. God winds up fulfilling every one of these covenants in Jesus because he makes, he makes um, well, first of all, he allows Jesus, Son of God, to be torn apart, basically, like like the sacrifice, like those animals in the covenant that he made um, with Abraham. 
So it's like, I will see this through, even if this is what has to happen for it to come true. God, God does that. He makes a way, and because of God, because Jesus is a man, then he fulfills what Adam could not. He lives his life in such a way that is never in rebellion with God. And because he is a man, the, his sacrifice satisfies because he's the son of God, it's satisfactory to cover all. And so God follows through and he makes good on all these promises, even though we fail as, as a, as a people on our end of the bargain time after time after time. And just as what he accounted to righteousness in the Old Testament, he accounts as righteousness to us now and now under the new covenant, we just have to believe and trust him. And when we fail, just as all of them up until you got to Jesus fail, it's, it's not the end. The promises have been made good. The covenants have been fulfilled in Jesus. So we just have to keep believing that and keep chasing after that. And keep our eyes on that. So, go ahead, William. We have not only a covenant-making God, we have a covenant-keeping and a covenant-fulfilling God. And that's something That's something to, <laughs> to be happy about. One more, one more slide there. Because of this, because of what Jesus has done, that's enough for me to believe that God's going to follow through and eventually make the earth clean again. But this time it will be perfect because in the process we will be made perfect. And then we will get to participate with God in adding to, how do you add to perfection? I don't know, other than it just gets bigger. But we will get to participate with God in adding to the perf- perfection, the new earth, the new heaven. Heaven will be now in relationship, right relationship with earth. Man will be in right re- relationship with God. Man will be in right re- relationship with each other. And man will be in right relationship with the earth and with all the animals and everything. That's the way I, that's the way I read it. And we have a God who has proven that he's going to follow through with that. All right. That's that's the end of this. I just wanted to tell everyone or anyone who have felt or heard God asking them, just believe in me. There's no time like the present. We do little things to show, just like people entering into a covenant, we do, we are entering into a covenant. We do things to show. Sometimes, you know, the folks will have you come, come to the front or pray with us or whatever. What happens, most importantly, happens in, in your heart. You say in your heart, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on this. I'm going to believe you. And then, as a, as a 
demonstration of that belief, you start walking it out. For the Christians of the early church, that, all, that always started with baptism. So if you've not been baptized, if you believe God, that's what you do. It's just, it's just like walking, walking through the animals. It's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show everybody that I'm saying I believe you, God. And, of course, we know the symbolism. It's like dying and being raised again. It's like you're dying to self, and you're putting your belief and trust and everything else in, in him. So if you haven't done that, gosh, today's a good day. So, all right. I love you all. Pray that you have a good week and that you will see places in your life where God is fulfilling his promises for you.